God has saved me. Salvation, salvation means that God has called us, God is transforming us, and God is leading us. So God has called us, God is transforming us, God is leading us. It's not a singular event. It's not a singular event. It's a choice that begins a transformation process which causes us to follow the one who initiated this remarkable, amazing change in our life. It consists of both a process, the Holy Spirit's movement, God's direction, his word, and people in our lives. So it consists of two things, a process and people within our lives. Now, in the chapter we're going to look at today in the book of Acts, which we're in Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, so whether you're in your on your phone there. Nowadays, you can look at that and act as if you're actually looking at a Bible or something, when in reality, you're texting your friends back home. That's okay. Nobody will know now. It's great. We've made that movement. Or whether you're in the Bible itself, so you may have a Bible you're turning to in Acts chapter 9. We're going to notice some interesting aspects here. Last week, we talked about Philip, and we saw the story of Philip, the amazing way in which his life was impacted and how he impacted the life of others. Today, we're going to look at the life of Saul, who most of us know as the man called Paul. Because in all of his writings, he refers to himself as Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle. And we could talk about why that is. Saul was an Aramaic or Hebrew name given to him that he, that he lived with. Many of us think, well, he was transformed his life. That's when he became Paul. Only because he chose to change his name. Unlike Barnabas, whose name was changed by the apostles, Paul's name was changed by himself. In fact, it wasn't actually a change. It's simply the Greek version of Saul. In Greek, the word Paul means little one or small. And Saul refers to a, a concept of responsiveness to God, responsiveness to God. We'll talk a bit more about that a little bit later, but it's interesting that in Paul's case, he made a personal choice to begin calling himself Paul so he could respond to the Greek-speaking people who were the primary people that he was involved in ministry towards. That's why he changed his name to Paul. So in case you're wondering, it gives you a little insight on that. We're going to see not just Paul or Saul, but we're going to see a man by the name of Ananias today. Ananias was an interesting guy who shows up only a couple times in Scripture. This is only primary times he shows up. Later he shows up when Paul refers back to him as a man who changed his life, as a remarkable man who he interacted with and brought change into his life. And then lastly, we're going to see a man by the name of Barnabas, whose original name was Joseph. We saw earlier in the book of Acts, his name was Joseph. And now his name has been changed to Barnabas. So he goes by Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Son of encouragement, as opposed to Joseph, Joseph, which would be more chosen by God is the idea or concept of the word Joseph, chosen by God. He's called the son of encouragement or son of, of comfort. And we'll begin to understand that in relationship to Paul, how powerfully he presents that picture. So let's turn to Acts chapter 9. We're going to read through it. And then we're going to find out what God has to say to us as we look at with the idea or the thought of these three different ideas or pictures, these three different people these three different processes that are taking place throughout this chapter. So the first section is what I call the I once was blind section or the call. 
This is when Stephen's prayer is answered. Many of us haven't caught that. See, earlier, Paul's with Stephen, and if you remember how Stephen ends his prayer as he's put to death, he says, Father, do not hold this against them. Forgive them for what's going on. He's praying for these very people that are choosing to literally stone him to death. His prayer is going to be answered because Paul is going to find himself responding to the cry of God. So we have the call that takes place here called, I once was blind. Meanwhile, it says, Saul was uttering threats with every breath. He was eager to kill the Lord's followers, so he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way, the way, which is a term being used now for the Christians, followers of the way. Jesus said, I am the way, truth and the life. So these are called the followers of the way. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, you may know the difference to him, whether it was a man or a woman, back to Jerusalem, put them in chains, place them in prison. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, so he's coming down, he sees Damascus, he's been on, on the road now for about a week, sees Damascus, this is this beautiful place, suddenly outside of the desert you see this green area that's, uh, where there's all kinds of wonderful growth and rivers flowing through it. He sees Damascus and at that point in time when he looks at it, it says, a light from heaven shone down around him and he fell to the ground and he heard this voice. And the voice was saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, who are you, Lord? And the voice said, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up. Go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Now, that's the key verse in this section. Get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless. For they had heard the sound of someone's voice, but they didn't see anyone. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was unable to see anything. He was unable to see anything. You're thinking, was that the voice of God? No, that was Mark checking to make sure it's actually going to work. He's saying, I think so, but we'll find out. We know we do have something there. All right. So they were speechless like you were for a second. Saul picked himself off the ground. He opened his eyes, but he's totally blind. His companions had to take him by the hand and lead him into Damascus. He would remain there for three days. Blind, and he did not eat, and he did not drink. Three days have gone by. Now the new beginning for Paul is going to begin to take place. He was blind. He's going to have a brand new beginning. He's going to be able to see for the first time ever. In Galatians, Paul writes later, he says, It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. So Paul's blinding experience here is one in which he begins to experience the freedom that God desires for him. As I said again, this is an answer to Stephen's prayer. In fact, much of what Stephen shares in his section to Paul 
At that point in time, if you remember, you go back to that section of Acts and walk through the things that he shares with Paul, you'll find Paul saying many of those exact same things to those who are against him in relationship to Christianity. He's going to start quoting the same area. He's going to walk through Moses. He's going to walk through the, through the prophets. He's going to walk through Isaiah 53. Each of these areas, he's going to show them that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. He's going to do it in an incredibly powerful manner. So that people will find themselves so angry at him, they'll say, I can't stop or refute his comments or his intelligence, so therefore, we're going to try to kill him. Now, the first thing I thought to myself here is I said, who is your Stephen or Stephen in your life? Who is the Stephen in your life? Who is the one that prayed for you prior to you coming to know Christ? Because what I've discovered is everybody has a Stephen. Everybody has this person who is particularly praying for you before you ended up responding to God's call. Uh, mine was a, a young gal who I still have never met since then who shared with me in a dark bar in Würzburg, Germany. Okay? And I mean, it was dark down there. It was intentionally dark. When they turned on the lights, it was pretty ugly. Okay, but so were many of us that were in the bar, so we liked it dark. She had specifically began to pray for me and share with me a basic statement in terms of what's called the four spiritual laws. This person prayed for me specifically. And I know there were other people praying for me as well who had been touched in my life and began to start the process of praying that God would do something. How many of you have a person like that in your life? You think, who is this Stephen in my life? Who is this student in your life? Maybe you can raise your hand and say, I, I got somebody. Anybody want to stand? Tell me who that person is. Stand up and say, who was the person that, that touched your life? Who's the person? Just stand up. Yes. Jeannie. Carrie Dunlop. Great. Merv. Your mother. Good. Oftentimes that's who it is. Somebody else. Yes. Your brother. Great. Somebody else. Yes. Your friend Roger. Dennis's mom. Yes. Miss Mary. <laughs> Oh, yes, Jeff, your wife, Pam. The people that influenced our life, they started that influence by praying for us and asking God to intervene in our lives in specific ways. Now, after this prayer that took place, there's an interesting terminology here that comes down. It says, Jesus talked to him and then he tells Paul, and he says, you're supposed to, you go into Damascus. Go to this place and you will be told what you must do. What you must do. And this is the place I see in many Christians' lives who they fail miserably. Because God calls them to a person, to a place, and he says, this is what you must do. And they say, you know, I don't really want to give up that much. And they begin to slide away. They don't listen to God's directive in relationship to their life. This is the big transition in Paul's life. For three days, he doesn't eat. He doesn't drink anything. He just prays for three solid days. What happens next? He says, I once was blind, okay, but now I see. Acts 9, starting with verse 10. There was a believer in Damascus, it says. His name was Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, and he said, Yes, Lord. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. And when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus by the name of Saul. 
he is praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of you, a man named Ananias, coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, you don't understand. I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. He's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, shut up, quit going against my directions. Do what I'm telling you to do. Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went. He found Saul. He laid his hands on him and he said, Brother, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me to you so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Paul's eyes. He regained his sight. He got up and he was baptized. He got up. What happened? There you go. Very good. He was baptized. Afterwards, he ate some food and he regained his strength. So now Paul finds himself with a brand new belief. Earlier, Peter had told us, what shall we do? The people asked him. What shall we do about this Jesus, what he's done? He says, repent and be what? Baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Peter's cry leads us to this place that we need to go in our next step with Jesus. One of the mistakes that I'm finding happening more and more these days is people are not choosing to follow Jesus in baptism. I don't understand it. I have one word for you guys. You're a fool. I'm sorry. You're a fool. God is directing you to do something. And that something will make a huge difference in your life. I was baptized in a little church in Würzburg, Germany, in a big tub. It was cold. And the pastor sat outside the tub because it wasn't big enough for two. He just put me in it, dunked me down, brought me back up, and I went, hallelujah, get me out of here. (laughs) And he pulled me out of the tub. Now, I remember going to my chaplain because I began reading the word, and the word said, everyone who repented, everyone who responded to God was baptized. And I said, I said, hey, what's this, this baptism thing? And he said, oh, would you like to be baptized? I said, no, I don't like to be baptized. I need to be baptized. God's word says it. He said, oh, okay. Do you want to be sprinkled or dunked? I said, what does it say? He said, well, it says dunked. I said, then I want to be dunked. Take me down. I don't want to have this old life anymore. I want this new life that he talks about in Romans about being risen up and raised to this brand new life. That baptism is a declaration of that death and burial. The old man's put away. The new man has been raised up. That's the cry of Paul. He gets up and he says, baptize me. And he baptizes him. And from that point on, his life is totally changed. Now, you notice the initial hesitation by Ananias here? God speaks to him in a vision. And he begins to argue with him. 
But God, you don't know about Paul. You don't realize how bad Saul really is. This is a really bad guy. You don't want him in your kingdom. You don't want anything to do with him. He's terrible. God speaks clearly, audibly to him in a vision. And yet he finds himself arguing. He's hesitant. And now before you get down on him, I want to ask you, has God spoke to you and said, you need to share with this person? And you said, well, you know, Lord, I don't really think. And we begin to argue with him. I I want to say something to you. The difficulty of the person that God sends you to to share with will determine the directedness of his voice to you. Hope you'll catch that. Because of the difficulty of anyone coming to Saul, we're going to see that continuing on, by the way, in his life. He's very, very directive to Ananias concerning go to Saul. Go to Saul. Specifically, this is not the norm It's not the norm. The norm is you share with your friends and those around you that God puts around you and you find them responding to the message of Christ. That's the norm. This was an abnormal situation. More demanding the situation, the clearer the voice will be. Jesus talks about it in Luke uh, chapter 8. when he, He discusses, he calls a parable and a sower. And that one he says, God's voice is like seed that people received and respond to. Some... After they hear the voice, lose their hearing because of the temptation weed. It says, the weed grows up around them and the temptations of the riches of life, the worries of life. Isn't it interesting those two are always together, by the way? Greed and worry are, are twins. We've talked about that some other time. But greed and worry are twins. They appear to be different, but they're actually twins. They deal with the same issue of trust and misunderstanding of God's direction and calling in our lives. And then the worry weeds, the rich weeds, and the pleasure weeds. They stop you from hearing. They put earplugs into your hearing. He says another group, they they have no depth. They hear it, but because it's shallow in their response... They don't respond to the degree that God's call is in their life. They have a shallow response. There's no depth in their life. He says says the seed went in, but it doesn't penetrate very far. They don't respond to it. They go, well, you know, I'm going to pick on this one for a minute. Maybe I'll be baptized some other time. I'm just not sure that this is the time for me. Or we say, you know, the giving thing, it's just, I just... It's just not working for me. I, I don't want to go in that direction. Sharing with people in the smoke, i got to share with people what's going on in my life. That can be embarrassing. I don't think I want to do that. Regularly looking into God's Word, it seems like every time I start reading God's Word, it says I have to give up something or give away. I, I don't want to read that anymore. Lack of depth. You see, when we begin to seek depth, the first thing God tells us is what we need to do, what you must do. In order to find yourself growing and developing in your walk with God, in your awareness of truth and reality. And if you don't choose to do those things, you will become a very shallow, at best, Christian, or not one at all. 
And if that doesn't frighten you, then you're not listening very carefully. Because it would frighten me greatly. Enough said along that end. I recently had cataract surgery in this eye. They only did one eye. So this eye, I can see you very, very clearly. This eye, it's kind of blurred. But I can read with this eye. That's why this week I don't have my glasses on. Last week I had, I had my contact in, so I had to use glasses. It's kind of fun. So I go, but I can read with, this, with the bad eye. It's an interesting element. Paul says he was blind, but now he's able to see. The same aspects happens in our life in relationship to God's word, in relationship to our understanding of relationships and how we interact with them, in relationship to how we live life itself, how we deal with, with our funds, our finances, how we deal with our family, all these things come into play. We begin to see what we're really supposed to do. Prior to, we were totally blind. We had no idea. We just kind of did what we were told to do. But we really didn't know why we were doing it. I once was blind, but now I see. He got up and he was baptized. Once he could see, he got going. It's in Acts 22 that Paul talks about Ananias' impact on his life. And he says, this man of God, who was greatly revered in his community, spoke to me about God, and God transformed my life. He speaks of that in Acts 22. My, my thought to you is, who's your Ananias? Who's your Ananias? Who is the person that came into your life and said to you, this is what you need to do? This is what God is calling you to do. You need to step up. You need to do the right thing. Who was that person in your life? Mine was my chaplain in the service, and he began to call me to it. I still remember the day he walked up to me. I was in a little coffee house in Würzburg on Flatkister, and I was sitting there, and I just got done leading a Bible study, and I was sitting there, and I was reading the Word, and he walked up to me, and he said, Lee. I said, yeah, chap. He said, I need to tell you something. And I said, okay, what do you need to tell me? He said, God has given you the gift of a pastor. I went, hmm, what's that? He said, that means that just as I'm doing, you need to be doing what I do. He said, God has called you into ministry. And so you need to prepare yourself. You're going to have to go to school, gain a better understanding of theology and these things. But God has given you a gift. And you'd understand he's given it to you, and you need to step up. And I said, well, I'm getting out in about 18 months. I'll think about it then. And he said, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. I went, okay, what do I got to do? He said, you need to pray and ask God to give you direction. I said, okay. Every time I do that, he tells me to do something. Okay, I will pray. So I went into the prayer room, and I was there for an hour. And I said, you know, Lord, this is crazy. I do not even consider the possibility that you could be calling me into ministry. That's crazy. That's nuts. I said, but Lord, if you want me to go into the ministry, you're going to have to get me out of the service. You're going to have to go through this entire process. But you've got to show me where you want me to go. I went into the service. I, when I joined the service, I came out of, out of San Jose, a little place called Walnut Creek. That's where I was in jail at that the 
that I was given the option. I could either go in the service or I could go to jail. And I felt very patriotic, and I said, I think I'll go <laughs> to the service. You get any idea? So I, I, I said, you know, Lord, you're just going to have to show me. I don't have any idea where to go, what to do, what to say. I don't, I don't know. So it's on you. I'm all done. So I got done in about an hour. I got out, got out, got out of prayer, and I kind of walked out there, and I looked over on the counter. It was in Würzburg, Germany. And on the counter is a catalog from San Jose Bible College. I went, no. You don't understand how incredible this is. I'd never seen a Bible college catalog before in my entire life, much less in Würzburg, Germany, in San Jose, which was going to be the place that I had to go to because the next day the first sergeant called me in and said, Lee, there's a special early out program that's just came up. You've been 18 months in service. I said, well, when would I get out? He said, tomorrow. I said, boy, Lord, you're fast. And the process began. And I found out, well, you have to go into a reserve unit. Okay, you got to go in your reserve unit. We're the one closest to the place that you were inducted in. I said, okay. And so that would be in San Jose. Oh, okay. All right, Lord, I guess I'm going to school. And that was this process that began the process. You see, God calls us. And people he puts around our lives, not just a process, it's people he puts around our life. And he says, you need to talk to them. You need to share with them. And when they interact with us, sometimes we get a little upset because you're like, you know, why are you on my case? Because God has told them to get on your case. Who's on your case? You need to thank God for the Ananias in your life. Right now, everybody, close your eyes, pray. Close your eyes. Lord, we thank you. I thank you for that chaplain. Took a big step. Changed my life. Thank you for a number of other men and women that have also stepped into my life and been Ananias. They said, this is what you need to do. Thank you for them, Lord. Continue to bring them into my life. Into our lives. We ask that in your son's name. Amen. He got that person's name. Tell, tell the person next to you, what was the name of the person that you're thinking of that encouraged or influenced you or talked to you? Who, tell the person next to you who that person was. Who was it? Who was it? Come on, tell them. There was a politician in America who recognized the need to respond to the issue of slavery. A man by the name of John Newton, who wrote the hymn that we all know called Amazing Grace, had previously been a slave trader. He owned a ship. He was a captain. And he would sell slaves. His life had turned around. And he began to recognize that it wasn't enough for him to no longer be involved in slave trading. He needed to be involved in the influential process of forcing the United States, America, to say, we are no longer going to be involved in slaves and slave trading. Let's watch this clip. Do we got it? Let's do it.
clip. Today is just not a video day. We got the, we got the voice earlier, but we didn't get the pictures. Now we get the pictures, but no oh, voices. My memory is fading. I remember two things very clearly. I'm a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. You must publish it. Blow a hole in their boat with it. Damn them with it. I wish I could remember all their names. My 20,000 ghosts. They all have names. Beautiful African names. We call them with just grunts. Noises. We were apes. They were humans. I couldn't weep till I wrote this. I once was blind, but now I see. Didn't I write that too? Yes, you did. Well, now at last it's true. <laughs> John Newton did having all kinds of fun here, aren't we? He was unable to see in the last few years of his life before he died. And he wrote that amazing hymn that we sing today some wow. Hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of years later, declaring over and over again, the change of life that Paul talks about, salvation. I once was blind, but now I see. And then the last picture that we see here is I call it the lesson. It's, it's where we see Barnabas come into play. It's where grace is revealed. It's where Paul is led home. Grace will lead me home. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a little while. The little while, it tells us in Galatians, by the way, was approximately three years. Okay. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues. He said, he is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. He said, isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? They said, and didn't he come here to arrest them, take them in chains to the leading priests? But Saul's preaching became more and more powerful as he studied, as he understood, as he declared. The Jews in Damascus couldn't refute him. They recognized what he was saying was true, that Jesus indeed was the Messiah. So after a while, some of the Jews plotted to kill him. They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some other believers gathered together. And they began to lower him down in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. Then Saul arrived in Jerusalem and he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They didn't believe he had truly become a believer. 
Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He told them how Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles. He went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews. And then they tried to murder him. And when the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea. They sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. It became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. It also grew in numbers. It was Paul who later on wrote in Galatians, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, so don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. I call this now I belong. You see, the, the third step that took place in this transformation process of salvation was Paul finds himself with other believers gathered together as a family. No longer, no longer just friends, but truly a family. Earlier, when Ananias comes up to him and he speaks to him, he says, Brother Saul, Brother Saul, emphasizing, emphasizing the fact that he was now part of an incredible Christian family. He'd been adopted into God's family. Amazing, amazing stuff. Now, it's in the use of the term, they were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him in Damascus. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. I call these the rope handlers. The rope handlers. Who are these people? They got together a basket big enough for Paul to get in. They forced him into the basket and they lowered him down through the city wall at night. So they could get to the bottom where some other people were down at the bottom taking him and they scooted him off to Jerusalem, back to Jerusalem. Who were these rope handlers? Without them, Paul dies and that's the end of the story. Story's over. Oh, yep. Remember Paul? Oh, yeah, Saul. Saul, yeah, he came down, did all this stuff here and then God took him away. Just like Stephen. They stoned him, done No, these rope handlers show up and go, you must continue here. I guarantee you, Paul was saying, I don't care about those guys. They can try to kill me if they want to. You'll see that over and over again, by the way, as you walk through the book of Acts. And God has to keep protecting him, even to one place where he actually dies and God brings him back to life. That's an interesting story. We'll get to that a little later in the book of Acts. Incredible stuff going on there. But at this point in time, God takes these rope handlers. These are the people involved in the church who do the stuff that nobody knows about. You never hear their names. All the people in our church, this stuff all the time. There's people around here. They, did you think the coffee just showed up miraculously back there? You know, oh, that was miraculous. The doors just opened miraculously. The floors were vacuumed miraculously. The chairs were all set up. <gasps> Holy Spirit, boom, right there. You know, Mark, okay, he didn't get the first one right, but the second one, Mark's here every Sunday. Dude. This morning we're doing something different. We didn't have a chance to check over this stuff because it always works, except for today. Except for today. These are the rope handlers. These are the people that make life work. 
that give us life, that allow me to speak, to allow others to interact in your life, to allow us to teach. The rope handlers, they're the ones who do the painting. You know, didn't just, well, it just turned white. Oh, we hired somebody. No, we didn't. We were. These are the rope. They're here day after day after day. They put up all this stuff. They hang doors. They fix windows. They do all kinds of things. These are the people that we need to honor and to recognize. Let's give them all a hand. Give them a hand. Thank you. Thank you. Each one of you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Ah, you know, we pay Robin and all the singers buku bucks. I give her a raise every week. I double the amount I paid her the week before. Every one of these guys. You know, we got Andy over here. Double every week. Double. No problem. He's amazed at my ability to give him raises. You know, from nothing to nothing. It's incredible. Nothing to nothing. They choose to do it because they love the Lord and they want to serve him. They've been given gifts and abilities. People are involved in that process because they choose you. And then there's the encouragers. You know the encouragers? They're the ones that always come up alongside you and say, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. Just keep at it. You can do it. You're tired. You're like, oh, I just don't want to do this anymore. And they kind of come alongside and said, I so appreciate what you did last week. And you're like, you do? Oh, yeah. It was amazing. You took care of my kids. You taught that lesson and they shared today. You're just so encouraging. You made such a difference in my life and the lives of the... And you go, wow. Those are the encouragers. I don't know if you've seen the show The Voice. There's a show called The Voice that's out. It's about singing. And the singers are fine and all that. But the big deal about The Voice is the coaches involved in there are involved in their people's lives. And time after time, what they say is... This person helped me to believe in myself. I never believed that I could sing this well, that I could do this, that I could put this together. But they made me believe. Presently, as a young guy, I was a preschool teacher from Kansas. Preschool teacher from Kansas, got all the way up to the top four. Incredible voice. She said, I just never believed that I could do this. When you first see her, when she does the first time and begins, you go, well, that's an interesting kind of, she looks like a preschool teacher from Kansas. And the last time when she's all done, no, this is a woman with phenomenal voice, incredible ability, who now believes that she could do what God has called her to do. And that's what's so neat about this show is that there are people who share their lives with other people so they can be changed. It's Paul who says, for by grace we've been saved through faith. That's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. So no one can boast. And that's the name changer in our life. You see, that's that that final. I, I finally find myself belonging to a place of grace, a place of hope, a place of encouragement. There's people in your life that are incredible encouragers. Barnabas comes alongside Saul and takes some huge chances. Later, he's sent to Antioch to take care of the believers and to work with them. After he gets there, he says, man, I need Saul. He goes back to Tarsus, finds Saul, brings him back in, and Saul begins teaching these believers in Antioch for the next few years. And this begins his call to go on a journey that will change everything about Christianity throughout the entire world. And the reason he's able to do this is because of Barnabas. 
Now, they're going to have a little bit of a breakup later. And in that breakup, Paul's going to leave and go with another guy that's going to begin to, to work with him. And Barnabas is going to take John Mark, who had failed, but John believed in him and said, no, he's going to be okay. And he takes him off and he heads down to a place called Cyprus. That's where Barnabas, you don't hear about him anymore because he's killed in Cyprus. So history tells us he was martyred in Cyprus after he went on this particular journey. And I wonder seriously if Paul wouldn't have been one that would have gone on that journey and been killed as well. But God had a different plan. Separated the two of them and then continued to use Paul in a marvelous, powerful way to write all the letters that we read today that encourage us and remind us about life itself. So we see the picture. We see the process. We see the people. Acts chapter 9. Saul. Transformation. Same thing should be happening in our lives. Some of you need to step up. You need to say, you know, I need to do something. Some of you need to be encouragers. You need to come alongside some people that are struggling. God's calling you to do that. And you're being quiet instead of speaking. Some of you need to be follow the Lord, whether it be from baptism uh, or whatever areas in your life. There's all these areas that God is calling you to and you're resisting them. Stop resisting. Stop it. You don't want to do that. It's not good for you. It's really not. You're missing out on the wonder that God has for your life. Incredible things that he has for you. If you'll choose to respond to his call. Be a Barnabas. There are a lot of those people around you who encourage you on a regular, consistent basis. Who encourages you? Who's your Barnabas? And who's your Saul that you're supposed to be encouraging? Who's your Barnabas? The questions I want you to ask there are just those. So we walked about Ananias. We talked about Barnabas. We talked about Saul. We talk about Stephen. Who is yours? Who are you? Where do you fit into that picture, into that pattern? Where's God calling you? Respond. Folks, respond to him. One way or the other. Band, why don't you come up? We're going to close with this last song. Because it's such an important, important song. It's a song we all know. It's been written a little bit differently. Changed it slightly for us. That's okay. It's just a pop. Amazing grace, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. It was grace that taught my heart to fear, and then grace led me home. Because that's the focus I want you to understand. Grace brings us into our home. A new belief a new beginning, a new belonging. We want to use the bees, all right? Just to grasp. I want, I want to be able to hold on to these truths that God is trying to teach you today. Salvation. It means God calls us. He transforms us. And then he leads us. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. That's the cry of God. That's the cry of God. Father, thank you. For this opportunity we've had to be able to view Saul and to see his life being changed as he chooses to become Paul. A man who would respond to Greeks like ourselves, Gentiles who didn't understand the Jewish plan, didn't understand what all you'd done, but who could understand that we were people in desperate need of help. And that Jesus would provide that for us. Today we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you gave us life. And we ask you to continue 
not just to forgive us, but to transform us. Make us more like you. Grant us the ability to sing this song as our song. As our song. Thank you, Lord. Thank you as you do. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.